Welcome to the DEI Discussions podcast series. This is the Humans of Fintech chapter and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today we are joined by Luke Trafer, Chief Revenue Officer at MangoPay. MangoPay provides modular payment solutions for platforms. Luke is here to share how he walks the talk for inclusion in our sector and what more he wants done. Luke, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Nadia. So, Luke, tell us about your journey to CRO and what you think have been the key attributes to your success. Sure. So, I started out, I actually left university and I love sport. And so, sport for me was a passion, a hobby. I thought, oh, how can I make it my career? Long story short is, my brother was a professional rugby player and I became his agent. And then we had a group of friends or his friends that also needed representation. And... That went on for a year or two, which was a great learning curve at that age, trying to deal with sort of player contracts yeah, and commercial Amazing. agreements. Yeah, yeah. And so I had a thirst for that idea of business, but totally blind to what that really meant. And eventually I settled down and I managed to get a job at a company called World First, which was an international yeah. payments company. And the rationale for that was very much just trying to find something that was steady. I saw a burgeoning sector in fintech. They had quite a unique proposition in the market very customer centric which I liked about that business and so the journey all started there and so as we go through the career it was very much sales focused commercially focused there were times in that business where we were quite focused on foreign exchange but the world was evolving to cross-border payments mm. which is slightly different and I remember quite clearly but we had these opportunities to with marketplaces that were growing in the space right they had sellers from China and the US and cross-border and they were trying to find ways to send money to these sellers and it was hard it was hard because of regulation and cost and technology or lack thereof and yeah we ended up working with the likes of Amazon and others Rakuten and and so it was a great start and I ended up after that period of time I think it was about four years in that business I took an opportunity with a company called Hyperwallet so Hyperwallet was a business out of Vancouver Canada very large in the US and it was a, a payouts mass payouts technology play right and so it had a network of bank accounts around the world and it allowed businesses to go and pay globally and so I ran that business in Europe for Hyperwallet for a period of time and and then we were acquired by PayPal late 2018 or mid 2018. That was a great journey. We learned, we grew that business and we learned a lot about the European market and how it differs from the US market and we grew that business and eventually sold that to PayPal for $400 million. Wow. It was, yeah, it was a great journey to be learning from a lot of different stages of that business life cycle and moving into Europe and how that facilitated sort of our growth. And then of course, having the experience of somewhere like PayPal was second to none. I joined that business and we ended up setting up an organization within PayPal, which was for specifically focused on servicing platforms and marketplaces. And so the reason for that in payments is that platforms and marketplaces have a considerably different set of needs, right? Because you've got if you think of eBay, and that's where PayPal emanated from and yeah. eventually outgrew eBay, there was a pay, payment coming in, payment needing to be held and a payment going out and the fraud and verification and so on. That's just grown exponentially, right? Because you've got 
two-sided platforms all around the planet. They're all trying to go global. They're trying to have a local experience, whether it's for a buyer or a seller or a rider or a driver or a freelancer, whatever it may be. And so we set up their organization in PayPal, where I was the director for platforms and marketplaces. And then at the beginning of 2022, I left PayPal and I joined MangoPay as chief revenue officer. So again, it was an opportunity I couldn't really turn mm. down. It, for me, MangoPay had always been in the sector a kind of a sleeping giant, right? It was owned by a, bank, a French bank. And there was an element of when Brexit happened, they retreated from the UK and now we're going back into the UK. So there's an interesting story about that. But ultimately, Advent being powerhouse in, in private equity and seeing the sort of growth potential for the business as well as the capital that they've invested, it was a great opportunity. So I took that and it's been a little over a year, I think about 14 months now that I've been in the business and it's been a really you know, fun experience. Of course, high growth, lots of change, which is slightly different to what MangaPay was used to before, but lots of opportunity as well. It's been fascinating. Yeah, and what a great journey. Thank I've you. loved listening to all of that, like how your business became PayPal, how you started off as a sports agent. Mm. This is all fascinating stuff. What would you say are the key attributes to your success and how you've moved along in that career? Yeah, so I think one of the major things is this ability to understand. As the, it's really an understanding of the space that you're in at the time that you're in. It's a little bit about the mix of the two. And one of the things I see when, especially when we hire people or when I was going forward for other roles that I've taken in the past, I always try to understand the platform and the person, the individual, and then what's the platform they're given to be successful in their role is really important. Some businesses will give you a better platform than others, but you know the ones who, what I think for myself is I've been given both, right? I've applied myself and had the platform to grow through high growth businesses in a burgeoning space with good leadership, with good principles and sort of acquisitions. And so all of that becomes a bit of a melting pot for mm. success. It's never one thing. I mm. think big thing that I was always guided with a couple of mentors was no one gives you the keys to the kingdom. You've got to go and take them and you've got to go and make it yourself, your own, right? Mm. And when the opportunity presents itself, you can't just suddenly magic things up. You have to have done the hard graft before to be able to then go and claim those mm. keys to go and take ownership and go within a business or change businesses in a bigger mm. role. I think what I love about your story is that some of it has been within businesses. You've grabbed opportunities within those businesses to make new pathways for your career. And on the same side of it, you've also gone and left businesses to go and project your career further forward. So I'd love to hear more about MangoPay and the mission itself. Yeah, sure. So let's start with the industry that we're in, which is payments. And payments is something it's quite interesting because it's actually very complicated but there's this veneer that kind of everyone's made it look very simple whether that's where you go to a pub on a thursday night and you pay for something contactless on your card or apple pay and it's all done right but actually behind the scenes there's all this somewhat complexity about how that works and so when you layer on top of that the sector we're in which is platforms and marketplaces where you're trying to take a payment from one in either an individual or a business hold money for a period of time and pay it out that layers the complexity tenfold maybe even more right because you're adding on the likes of fraud multiple users money laundering directives so aml kyc kyb and potentially even things such as cross-border right and the biggest thing about our mission is that mango pay started as a wallet 
it started as a cash pools business that allowed people, if you're going on a honeymoon and you wanted to raise funds for all your friends and or from your friends and they could all put money oh, into, nice. a, into okay. a pot and then you'd get paid out at the end of that campaign. That's where it started. And interestingly, that was a business called lychee.com, which is lychee in French. Oh, and nice. so you can get the fruit yeah. trays coming through. But I was going to ask, why yeah. mango? Yeah. yeah, one of my questions I asked after I started, actually, yeah. before, the, rather than before. But yeah, it started off as lychee.com, which was a cash-born business. still exists today. Very popular in the French market for the reasons I mentioned. But merchants and platforms were coming to... Romain Mazers, our CEO, and say, hey, can you build me an API so I can use the infrastructure of this? Because I've got this need where I've got to take money, hold money, pay out money, right? And so that's where Manga Pay was born, right, and came from, which fundamentally is very different from everyone else in the space, right? When you look at Stripe, Adjun, and others, PayPal, PayPal's a slightly different story, but ultimately they started as a gateway and an acquirer to accept money, and then they added on your capability as they went and adjusted that towards the regulation. The biggest thing for us is where we've emanated from, where we've come from is really our USP, which is this wallet infrastructure. But the big admission for us is that we want to be the authority in payments for platforms and marketplaces. We feel like they're still underserviced and that a lot of businesses, that whether they're a startup with an idea or they're processing multi-billions in volume, quite often they're having to build their payment infrastructure around a or maybe two businesses in payments and we don't think that's a good long-term plan. I believe that there should be modularity and flexibility in you know how the business operates payments mm-hmm. whether that's for accepting credit cards or a payment method in a certain country holding certain currencies paying out via a certain method mm-hmm. having the onboarding journey done in a certain way has to be reflective of how your business or your platform wants to operate mm-hmm. it's very different if you look at a customer such as Vinted, we process for Vinted and they have typically an average basket of anywhere between 25, 50 euro, right? And it's typically secondhand clothes and it's individuals to individuals. And that's completely different to what you may see on another platform that's say freelance or it could be on demand, an Uber, right? Or, or a Bolt. There can't be a one size fits all for these platforms as are thinking or logic and so we have to provide flexibility of payment solutions and that's our mission is to say mm-hmm. consume what you wish take what you like make it work for you and, and and grow your business right i really like that and i think that's super reflective of your environment as well this sort of tailored approach to each individual's needs and i want to talk a bit more now about your belief in investing in people i know that you've set up this academy style process so that people can learn and it's very tailored to the individual just like the mission of the business Mm. tell us more yeah to set the scene a bit on that we we've grown our headcount both organically and inorganically over the last 14 months since 12 months since the acquisition and so naturally that's across all departments but naturally that brings some strategic thinking about how you do that right and i think we've learned the lessons as a industry and even a there's a planet in business over the last couple of years that there is a problem when you overhire right and things don't continue to accelerate as everyone assumes they do 
we benefited from the hindsight of that because we were capitalized after this started to all happen. But the reality was that the, the, we had to have a thinking about how do we make sure we A, invest in our best people, right? B, how do we make sure that the new people coming into the business understand our core values, our principles? That starts before the hiring process. For us, that's all about hiring principles. How are we hiring as a business across management? Not all the same people, right? So we have to have diversification and inclusive sort of culture, but how do we make sure that the principles and the values remain solid through that journey? And then I think you know, lastly is how do we then continue to ensure that those people go on the right journey with us and at the point in which they do exit the business because there is an inevitable life cycle with this stuff is that they leave as better people they leave as better in their space their community they have more following more trust and more experience and so we we were very as a leadership team we're very conscious of that but obviously that comes with a caveat which is change right and we're going through a lot of change as well so it's balancing the two to make sure that the message still comes through that in some respects we over communicate right and that's always a challenge and so yeah, I think when we look at the academy style process that was something I established within our organization because it was a very in the sales organization it was very flat which I think at the time was the right approach a few years ago I think where we're trying to get to and where we're headed we needed more structure and so we had some really great people, but they just come out of university, right? And so we've gone through COVID, they weren't in offices together, it's tough. And so we set up an inside sales organization that was for sales development representatives and inside sales representatives. So the sales development reps were going out to market, they were booking meetings for the account executives and salespeople. And the inside sales representatives were selling to SMBs. So for us, that's the SMBs are processing less than 5 million a year in payment volume. And the reason for that is they can really learn about business. They can learn about needs. They can understand the different sectors of customers and the categories of customers we sell to with, with the vision for them to move up into the the sales organization that is account executives so they can go into mid-market large enterprise and then eventually into our strategic accounts organization which is our 10 years plus experienced sales folk who who go through longer sales cycles so say more complex sales cycles mm. and have to have that sort of technical knowledge and so there's this process for people to see where the levels and the promotion cycles and the merit cycles aligning to the values that then align to performance mean that they can start out with us and there's a many multiple year journey if they want to go and take that which is really important and it's interesting when you think about recruitment right because there is an element where we had to go and recruit some people at the top of the business eight out of our I think ten of our management team are new to the business seven and seven or eight right and then we've got a number of VP levels that have come in but ultimately you can't do that across the whole business you need to have some consistency over time where people live and breathe what we do and they know the DNA and they come through at least in my organization that is then massively coupled with what we have as a sales enablement and strategy team and so those two business, the business organizations really come together because if we train, we have good content. We have a Mango Pay Academy online dashboard that they can go yes. into. They can take certifications. They can get themselves to be experts in the space. Those two coupled together is very powerful. So it's about giving, again, I say earlier, it's about giving the people the platform to be successful. And then it's up to them if they want to take that or not. Yeah, yeah. And I love all the detail around that, really showcasing exactly how it's done and what that journey could look like mm. should somebody want to progress through it. But also how it's tailored for that individual. And I know 
you are a champion for inclusion and making sure that people are included, they feel a sense of belonging and they all have that opportunity to grow within the workplace. With regards to championing inclusion, how far do you think we've come as an industry? I think there's two sides to this, right? One side is counting for the obvious that when the data shows and if you look at management teams and board members and you look at the investment side of our sector, the white male community is still holding the flag, right, in terms of decision making and power. But that doesn't mean that there isn't change afoot, right, because we're seeing a lot of I guess push, right? It's a push with the industry to say, let's be different, let's think differently, let's get rewarded for making different decisions, right? And so I think the positive side of this is that, at least in our business, we're seeing some really strong women coming through the business, right? And empowering themselves to be really strong. And what that means is that follows, there's a community that follows, right? We've got some young sales people in and it's amazing to watch this happen where you've got the traditional kind of strong male character in sales a strong female character it actually creates this really interesting dynamic right of different types of leadership and slightly different skill sets so we really do embrace that i think from an inclusion perspective we are a fairly young business i think our average age is 32 we're about 60 percent male 40 percent female in fact what's interesting is we go up the sort of levels, right? I think that plateaus a little bit closer to 50-50, which is great to see. And Great to see, yeah. Yeah, it's really good to see. And there's a lot of value, right? There's a lot of value there as a business for when we do that. And actually, inclusion is kind of this thing that if everyone lives and breathes it, it just happens. You can't really tell people to do it. It's yeah. a bit like a culture. You've got to go and install the values, but it's not about putting posters on the wall with the values. It's about having them as a living, breathing thing, having consistent 360 reviews, having quick and manageable feedback tools yep. so you can go and make sure everyone's held accountable. And ultimately, you've got to believe that when you're hiring people or when people are in the business, they've got to live by those. So we hold everyone accountable on those, whether that's on mid-year reviews, final year reviews. There's an allocation of, of that as being part of performance, of course. So look, how far we've come, probably scratching the surface, if mm. I'm honest. But as an optimist, you look at the fact that actually the future of this could be really interesting and create those better, healthier dynamics for, mm. for success. Absolutely. And I love that accountability. I think it's so easy to say we do care about inclusion. We want to be more inclusive. But it, without that accountability, it's very difficult to make it that living and breathing culture that you described. Yeah. So in these podcasts, I always introduce them saying we're here today to walk the talk because I want the audience to do more walking and talking on this subject. So I love to always ask my last question to focus on what you would want people to do more of and what you think that people should be doing for more genuine workplace inclusion. I'll start with my sort of CRO role, right? That covers growth marketing, it covers sales enablement, sales ops, and then sales and partnerships. And so I think the biggest thing is to ensure that when you're hiring is being really critical about thinking about culture versus performance because I actually think that there's a bit of a there's a shift happening in our space right 10 20 years ago it was how can I get the best performing salesperson in that brings a book of business with them that allows me to go and yes that's effectively, exactly what it was wasn't and it? it was effectively like how can I go and move that book of business onto my P&L 
and thanks for your time here and then you leave again, right? Mm -hmm. So I see pockets of that still, right, fascinatingly, but ultimately, how do you bring someone into a business? And I always say this when I go through hiring process and in review process, which is it's a two-way thing, right? Whether that's collaboration, walking the talk, with this stuff is really about taking accountability and on those two factors one is when you're hiring don't hire selfishly just for the sake of whether that's monetary terms or a book of business you know, hire for the long term hire for someone who's going to really grow with the business and bring two ways right you're going to help them and they're going to help you and then secondly i think it's really around whether that's if you're just starting out in your career and you're an individual contributor really walk the talk right don't just expect it to happen right take ownership and then that goes all the way through right i think that the critical thing here is when you have middle management in businesses the successful ones take ownership and they drive themselves through right and they do that because they harmonize with the business but they live and breathe those values and i think that they're critical at a state of the economy right now these are the types of folks that really need to go and, and push the envelope a little bit more mm. than what happened before otherwise they're usually the first to be told negative news shall mm. i say well, Luke, today has been fantastic. It's been absolutely brilliant learning about your journey. I love how you spoke about grabbing the keys to the kingdom, but also how you're now making sure that it's possible for more people to grab those keys through your academy-style processes. So it's been brilliant learning from you. Thank you for sharing your accountability, how we can build true inclusion into our workplaces, and thank you for joining us on the DEI Discussions podcast series. Thank you, Nadia. That's great.